Hello again, this is Noah and John. We are from Urban Digs. We are talking Manhattan. We're at Halstead today, Johnny. Looking forward to it, we are. We've got Ari Harko here. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're not messing around. We're going, serious. We're going straight serious. Straight to the top. <laughs> straight to the top. All right, thanks for joining us here. This, this whole show is just about um, the raw, unbiased, true nature of Manhattan real estate. Okay. Um, buyers, sellers, agents, we're all confused. Mm -hmm. Quickly, how long have you been doing this for? Uh, I started real estate in basically the spring of 2007, so about 12 years. Okay, 12 years. And you've, you've escalated your business tremendously. Congratulations. Thank you. You have a team of how many people? We have 12 people now. 12 people. It's amazing. And how many listings do you have right now? Uh, low 30s, depending on the day. Low 30s. So you got a lot of business going on. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So let's just start high level right now. What do you see happening out there today? Challenging market. I think uh, I think you're dealing with a disconnect between buyers and sellers. So I think that many buyers feel that the market is declining and it will decline further. So they're looking to pay next year's prices, and many sellers feel uh, disgruntled or frustrated that last year's prices are no longer attainable. And they see the comps in their building, and the comps in their building don't jive with what we're seeing in the market, right. and that creates a disconnect and a stalemate. Which I think is part of what's probably you have the data reducing transaction volume. Right. Is, are, are sellers starting to understand, though? I mean, it's been a long time. I just Some think. sellers are starting to understand. I think the issue that we run into is if you look at post-2008 and you look at the last crisis that we faced, yeah. there was a cataclysmic, seismic event in yeah. the overall macro economy. So it was very easy to point to something and say, hey, people are carrying their work in boxes out of Lehman Brothers. There's something happening. Right. Right now, it's hard to point to one thing and say, here's why. We right. have you know, the three major indicators of stock market, unemployment, and interest rates all basically at all-time highs or lows. Yeah, all favorable. All favorable. Yeah. On a macro level, we're basically firing on all cylinders. But on a micro level, New York City real estate has been essentially gradually declining since the summer of 2015, give or take. Ooh, yeah. And so it's hard as a seller to stomach the fact that my stock portfolio is higher than it's ever been. Buyers are getting incredible interest rates, but why is no one showing up to see my apartment? Yeah, it's almost like there's like a reset that had to happen. Like there was just a disconnect between what's affordable and what's really going on out there. And, and it was, you're right, summer of 2015 was about the peak of the last cycle, right. which means we're entering about the fourth year. Just a long time. And, and, and right, so you've been working in this business for 12 years. I've been following Manhattan Real Estate since the mid 90s. And I mean, I remember the um, Asian crisis 98. Mm -hmm. I remember the dot com boom bust. I remember September 11th. I remember 2008, 2009. And now I look at this. And what's different about this cycle is the duration of it. The duration and the disconnect between the macro US economy and our market. Yeah. That we're moving like this. Right. Which is a once in a generation. So let's just talk about that for a second. I mean, why do you think that's happening? I mean, we'd like to think it's uncertainty for buyers. Buyers is a cloud of there and in uncertain times, buyers do not bid aggressively. They just mm -hmm. pause, etc. So it could be the salt deductions, um, it could be um, just just real estate taxes, maintenance getting too high, the rent versus own equation, kind of sharing sure. rents. I mean, what do you think might be causing this? Well, I think you just explained it. The issue is there isn't one thing causing it. There are probably a dozen things causing it. And each one of them on their own is not going to move the market, but the sum total of all yeah. them moves the market. It's like yeah. a death by paper cut sort of situation. It's Correct. I mean, and, and the last but not least is I think the two things that people don't want to talk about are one, we're at the end of a very long bull run. So Ooh. it just has to shift at some point. Right. That's the nature of markets. And two, Prices maybe just got too high too fast. Yeah. It's no more complicated than that. Right. And right. then there's salt, and then there's yeah. you know transfer taxes going up, and then there's you know pockets of oversupply in the Brooklyn rental market, the Queens rental market, the luxury condo market in Manhattan. You know there are other specific factors, but I think functionally you have incomes that are basically flat to down adjusted for inflation. You have buyers feeling like hey this has been a really long run, and you have prices that are just too expensive. Right. I mean, yeah. do you think that we? I mean, we have come down. We right? have. Okay. 
Um, I don't want to put you on the spot on how much we're down, but do you think that we've fully priced in this cycle or that you th- maybe we still have a little bit more to go down on a macro level? So my concern, and I think this is the concern that's shared with many buyers, sellers, brokers, folks in the industry, is that first of all, the perception is what becomes reality. So if you talk to 100 buyers and you pull the human beings out in the market looking to write checks and buy homes, I would venture to say 99 of them will tell you prices are down in the next year as opposed to up. Right. And whether they're right or wrong, they're right because they think it. You know, So that perception is gonna drive reality. Right. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is if you look at the US macro economy, we can't go up from here. So right. at some point, the macro economy will shift into a recession or a correction. Yep. And when that happens, our market can't go up when the US economy is going down. Maybe we go down a modest amount or maybe we flatline, but we're not gonna go up. Right. So I think the long and the short of it is there's more pain to be felt. Right. And then the last piece of it is, obviously the new construction is happening in new construction and new development. And the issues that we're dealing with there are you've got a lot more equity in deals than you did in the last cycle. So there's you right. know 35 points as opposed to 10 points. And so it takes a lot longer to wipe out the developer and the equity group. Right. And then you also have a lot of inventory loans because a lot of banks are looking at this as an opportunity to basically buy future inventory. So we're prolonging the process as opposed to ripping the Band-Aid off. Right. And that's why you see all these projects stagnating. Well, let's talk about that for a minute, new development. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we've been saying on this Talk Manhattan show that that's where we think the, the best value is for buyers. I mean, especially if you happen to be in, in the higher end of the, mm-hmm. of the new, I mean, do you agree with that? or? I th- I do agree with yeah. it. I think the issue that you run into is so um, the person who's running the show is the developer. The developer only gets their promote if they hit certain numbers. So once you start to cut below that, the developer has really very little incentive or skin in the game to make deals happen because once they're wiped out, they're wiped out. And we're getting to that threshold, mm-hmm. but they have this ability to kind of prolong things. That's why you see pockets of the market like West Chelsea, Hudson mm-hmm. Yards, where you just see you know, in abundance of oversupply, but not a lot of price reductions. Right. I mean, you have buildings where no one sold a unit in a year. And they could yeah. just, I mean, how much longer could they hold out for? Yeah, I was going to say, but you also yeah. do a lot of new developments in, in Brooklyn, sort of the western edge of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. Gentrifying areas. And I'm just curious, how do those new developments face versus, say, the ones in Chelsea High? So, because the price points are generally a lot lower. Correct. And the buildings or the developments are generally smaller. So the answer is Brooklyn is faring better than Manhattan. Not great, but better than Manhattan, mm-hmm. and it is somewhat dependent on the building. The other thing we haven't talked about here, but is really relevant, is the monthly carrying cost. Yeah. So, if you look at salt, if you look at real estate tax abatements, and if you look at um, the New York City essentially um, uh, legislature raising real estate taxes across the board, the impact on home affordability from a monthly carrying cost—not an absolute dollar value, but a monthly carrying cost has jumped dramatically in the past couple of years. And yeah. no one's really doing that math until they sit down to buy an apartment. Right. You know, we, we talk about this all the time. You know, there are projects in Brooklyn where, you know, you're talking about a three and a half million dollar three bedroom, but if you do the math between common charges, real estate taxes, and mortgage, forgetting the you know the salt mm-hmm. deduction and what have you, mm-hmm. the carrying cost is fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars a month. Right. How many people can afford that apartment? Right. And how many apartments like that exist? And how many of those people can afford it and don't already have housing? Right. And then you do the math and then you understand the market. Right. What about what's moving? Do you notice anything that's moving? Yes, I, what your listings, are they like in high price points, low price points? Are you noticing any difference? So, yes. Um, there are certain submarkets that are moving better than others. Uh, I would say the edges of Brooklyn are doing better than the prime portions of Brooklyn, to be honest. So like the Ditmas parks of the world are doing really well. Um, the areas where the carrying costs are lower, like townhouses are doing much better than condos because you have you know essentially artificially low real estate taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
prime, prime, prime AAA locations like the West Village, Central Park West, those areas always fare better. Mm -hmm. um, and then certain cache buildings are doing better. I would right. say those are the pockets. And then you have every now and again, and we just had a couple sellers like this, people who say, I get it, the market's efficient, my property's worth X, I'm gonna price X minus 5% or X minus 10%. Yep. And we get bidding wars. It happens. Right. I and mean, that's what I always tell people. The market's liquid. If you price correctly, there yeah, are yeah. buyers there. We talk about that all the time. And that's, I guess the, one of the things I'd love to hear from you is how do you have that conversation with sellers? And I imagine there's a couple types of sellers. You have sellers who have comps in the building who are like, yes. that's 2015 price. I like that price. Yes. And then you have sellers that don't have a comp in the building for like five years ago. And yes. I imagine they're totally different conversations. You have a blank they slate are. in one and you anchored expectations in another. They are. So the commoditized buildings, the buildings that are high rises with an A line, a B line, a C line are the hardest sales right now because there's more inventory in those buildings. The inventory is piling up and the disconnect on the comps and how sellers feel is very challenging and the properties aren't special, meaning you can replicate them more easily. Yeah. Those are the hardest sales right now. The easier sales are the ones that have a backyard or an amazing patio or 13 foot ceilings or they're on you know an amazing cobblestone block in the West Village, things like that. Mm -hmm. How do we have the conversation? We look at the numbers and one of the things that we talk to sellers a lot about is the um, logistics and the psychology around threshold and pricing, meaning the difference between being at a million and one versus 999 is enormous when you think about the number of eyeballs you're catching right. on listing aggregator sites and the psychology of how buyers think about their bid. Yep. Now, I was just on the phone this morning with a seller who probably has a property that's worth about 155, but we're gonna price it at 1499 mm -hmm. because the difference of being below 15 is enormous when it comes to the foot traffic, the eyeballs, and the interest. Yep. And I think there's a better chance of getting over 15 pricing under than vice versa. Of course, you let the market do its work. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and Ari, I'm looking at median listing discount right here on Urban Digs, and, yeah. and the number's ugly. I mean, it's down, I don't know if you can see this here. Um, so we're at 7%. Yeah. So when I look back to that mid-2015, where sellers were getting 99% of their asking yeah. price, now they're getting 93%. Another way of looking at it is that sellers have to go down 7%, meaning they have to be negotiable. So my question to you is, um, how do you figure out when that price cut conversation kicks into play? I mean, is it a static four-week kind of period? Most of the guests that we have on here say, ah, I give it four weeks. Do you have any other science behind that? Or Yeah. So first of all, I think it depends what the response is from the market. So mm -hmm. if it's truly crickets and no one's showing up, then you might even have it earlier than four weeks. Right. If you're getting pretty good traffic but no offers, you might delay it even further. If you're getting lower offers, then you might do it sooner because the market is telling you this is worth this. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be responsive to the market. I don't think there's a simple formula, mm -hmm. but what we try to do, and it's maybe not the best answer, is to organically respond to what's happening. Right. Um, like I have a seller right now who um, has not been getting a lot of traffic, but we've had a couple really good showings recently and we're on the verge of reducing the price but I said to her I think we should wait and see the feedback through with these buyers gotcha. before right. we just drop the price right and because once you drop that price those potential interested Correct. buyers all of a sudden it's it's okay, they, they start to smell that blood in the water Correct. Yeah. and right. you're also just anchoring them lower exactly. in the conversation yeah. right right yeah. Um, really, really interesting. I want to I shift it a little bit because sure. um, we're really getting to the end of this thing. I know you got to go, sure. but um, you got a team of 12 people. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. not, not only that, I mean, you guys have, and I was saying this earlier, you guys have the most seamless team that we've ever Thank experienced. You. I mean, I from start that. to finish, it was just yeah. easy. Thank you. Yeah, you're a pleasure to work. That means a lot to me. And, and listen, you, 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 
value co-brokers and you and you respond and you're timely and you treat everyone as equals and that's all we could ask is buyer brokers um, but you're building a team we got a lot of agents that listen to this mm -hmm. so when you look at the 12 people that you have on your team are they all agents are they marketing people are they is someone a financial guy how do you break up the roles of that team to build sure. and optimize a successful team all right, so I think the first thing is if you're building a team or on a team or running a team, there's a difference between operations, admin marketing, and sales. So I believe those positions should be bifurcated. I know earlier teams and, and smaller partnerships maybe have these hybrid roles. I'm not a big believer in that. So we have um, a marketing coordinator, we have an operations director, we have some other part-time assistants mm -hmm. when it comes to admin. Mm -hmm. That's a separate bucket. And then we have the sales bucket. My partner and I run the team. We lead the sales operation. We generate most of the business, mm -hmm. and then we have agents on the team who support us on our listings, work with buyers and referrals that we provide to them, as well right. as what they originate. Is the 12 people the combination of all those people? The or? 12 people is a combination, and then we also have um, a fairly large rental portfolio that's a big account for us that we manage, mm -hmm. so we have a couple of agents who are primarily on the leasing side, and one or two who are kind of hybrid sales and rentals as well. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea is I think people should be doing what they do best and not doing what they don't do as well. So the support that we provide allows for the agents not to do their own board packages, not to put listings into the system, not to right. order postcards, all the non-revenue generating activities that we as agents on our own spend 90% of our time doing. Right, so if I had to look at what your job is right now, you and your partner, you pretty much sign the deals. Right, you go to we bring in the business, we prospect for business, we pitch for new listings, we do work with some buyers because I think that's actually important. Mm -hmm. um, we negotiate, we communicate mm -hmm. with sellers, we're not very involved in terms of showings and open houses, we tend to have the agents cover those, mm -hmm. um, and we're not involved in the operations and logistics, but I'm very involved from a marketing perspective in terms of like high level and brand. Mm -hmm. Do you go on every listing pitch? Uh, 95% yes. Okay. So if I'm an agent right now and I guess I'm grappling with the idea of like, ah, I, I got great business, I built my business up, yeah. I'm making good money, but I feel like I'm stretching myself too thin. Because it does get counterproductive, yeah. Yeah. right? And I mean, if you start spending too much time in this business here, you could be up here, but you just, you're starting to give everyone a little less service each and that's not gonna help. So like at, at what point does that individual agent need to, you know what I'm saying? At what yeah. point do they need to bring on the people? And the question really is, is like, what is the one or two people? Because they're not going to go from one person to 12 people. No, they're not. I imagine they from one to two mm -hmm. to four to six to eight, right? You go over time. What is that? that sec what's the reason and what's the person type that you want to bring in that warrants building out that team for the very first time? That's a great question. That's a great question. I have a very specific answer. To build a house, you need a foundation. The foundation for the team is administrative support. So the very, very, very first hire, and I believe this with 110% of my bones, has to be an administrative support person. I see, I, I thought it would be to totally be. different. See, that's why I'm asked that question. I thought it would be an agent. I has thought it's be like, all right, I got too many listings, I got too many buyers. I need a rental guy. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So the way it works is as follows. You are an individual agent. You're doing everything. Mm -hmm. The first thing you do is take the non-revenue generating activities off of your plate. So board packages, listings in the system, all the rest of the administrative work. You take that off of your plate. The first thing that allows you to do is to spend more time prospecting, closing deals, negotiating, and doing the things that you do get paid to do, right. which all of a sudden now opens up a pipeline for more business. When you have that more business, then you can bring on the first agent, whether it's a buyer's agent, rental agent, whatever your business you know needs, right. um, and then you grow from there. I see too many agents and teams that are basically a collection of agents, but they have no support, they have no backbone, and to go back to your comment and, and compliment, which I appreciate, they don't run the team like 
like a business. It's just yeah. a haphazard group of individuals running around who may be very talented and successful, but they don't have that underlying foundation. You yeah. know, I always liken it to think about um, an accountant firm, think about a law firm, think about a doctor's office. You're not going to go to the doctor's office where there's no one sitting at the receptionist desk. Right. It's not going. The doctor's not going to be calling the insurance company. I love it. You're, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. <laughs> Listen, we're getting. We got two a couple minutes left. We're going to go down sure. to the last yeah. questions. We but like I, to end. I got to rethink my doctor. <laughs> exactly. And if he is, you shouldn't be going. Yeah. There. Yes. Well, he's out of a van. I figure it's okay. Uh, you're fine. It's okay as long as he's in the van. So he fine. came to you. We got final thoughts. We like to end final thoughts, buyers, sellers, agents, um, real quick. So if I'm a buyer out there, yeah. what would you say to that buyer with all of your experience of, of where we are now, where we have been, the cycles you've seen in Manhattan real estate, what do you tell a buyer? Okay, so my self-serving comment acknowledging that is interest rates are incredibly low. The opportunity to buy and take your time and look at properties, come back and what have you is unique in New York City real estate and buying with a long-term hold five plus years, it's hard to lose money, particularly when you factor in the amount of money you're gonna spend on rent. Right. So my attitude is you can't time markets. I bought a couple of years ago. I don't think you can time markets. You buy the right property at the right time. Right. You hold it for a long period of time. You're gonna live there. And I think there's an obsession in our market with the investment portion which is important but it's a home you're gonna right. live there right I completely agree um, sellers what do you tell sellers right now get ahead of the falling knife I mean it just is what it is that the market is, is dipping down there are no signs it's going up in the near term so you're either a seller in the near term or you might be waiting three to five years yeah, it's such it's such good advice if you're a seller right now just just listen to the, the data and the comps and the pricing conversations that your brokers are telling you um, and just have them present that actual data all right you don't want someone coming in here and saying your place worth two million because you got some guy in, in overseas that's going to you know bid on some place you want to see the actual comps and the data so be realistic and otherwise you're going to be behind the curve right you're right. going to be the last in the pack um, and finally agents last question agents yeah, i'm a brand new agent what do I need to do to up my, up my game? Brand new veteran agents, the reality is the market is challenging now. You have to accept that, but markets have been flow, and I think challenging markets are where agents really cut their teeth. Mm -hmm. And what I always tell people is, and you probably have the exact number, but in 2009, in the depths of the recession, we're talking about roughly 9,000 residential sales in the city of Manhattan, not even counting the other boroughs. 9,000 transactions. So yeah. when people say nothing sells in August, nothing sells in December, the market's dead. I don't know if I can say this on camera, but that's bullshit. There yeah. is always business to be had. There is always liquidity in the market. You might have to work harder, but there's always business. Right. So pick your head up, be positive, be optimistic, and be that confident, optimistic person that someone wants to do business with. If you're right. Debbie Downer, no one wants to interact with you. Right. I love it. Great stuff. Good and by the way, you can say that because this is our podcast. Oh, I love it. Okay, good. All right. All right. Um, Ari, thank you so much. We're at Halstead. This is Noah and John. We're from Urban Digs. We're talking Manhattan. We'll catch you next time.